0: and be with you, and be in the Lord's presence together. Um, I just, uh, we, uh, the Lord speaks to us in different ways, but we know his word is the infallible and sure word of God, but uh, there are impressions that he grants to us at times that we, I think, should heed. Just one thing that struck me as we were worshiping, um, and I felt like I needed to tell you just I just felt like the Lord was reminding me how beloved his people are. And uh, you may be here and be aware of all sorts of different things, and I just felt like the Lord wanted you to know how much he loves you. You are his beloved, and he is glad that you're here uh, with his people in his presence. He loves to meet with us and to speak to us and to help us. Help looks different. Uh, sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's just a sense of peace amidst the storm. Sometimes it's correction, even rebuke. Uh, help from the Lord looks all those ways, but it all comes from love and goodness. And, and so we know that he's here to help us because he's good. We're continuing our series on worshiping God together. Uh, and throughout the summer, we're going to be addressing different elements from scripture of what it, means to worship Him together, and today I want to look at the element of the Lord's Supper. Um, so we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be learning from that passage in verses 17 through 34, and applying those to our lives. When I was a little boy, uh, my grandmother, uh, was a very, very devout Christian, wanted me to be a pastor, Um, She had set her sights on me, and little did she know, I would end up as a pastor. But one thing I used to do, I was about five years old, I have memories of this, I would take a golden chalice that they had, it it wasn't truly golden, it was painted gold, and I would put NECA wafers, Uh, if you're from New England, you know what NECA wafers are, those little sugary wafers that look like communion wafers, if you've ever used those for communion, I would put, fill the chalice with Necco wafers and when my family was all together I would go around and, and give them Necco wafers as if it were communion. Um, I have to say I didn't know what I was doing. I was just mimicking what I had seen and going with my grandma. I'm sure my grandmother was so pleased to, to see me do that. Um, but I really didn't know what I was doing. But I knew you know, that was an important part of Christian worship. And I think perhaps and to some degree we're all like the five-year-old me we don't quite know what's going on, but we know it's important when we celebrate communion. And yet the Lord wants to teach us about this important part of our worship. This has been an important part of the history of the church since Christ was with us physically. He's called us to mark um, ourselves in the participation in the communion meal together, and it's it's been a regular part of Christian churches for thousands of years. He himself has instituted this practice, so we want to learn and we want to understand and one of the best places to go is First Corinthians chapter eleven and to learn from this section so let's pray and ask that God would teach us what we're called to as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you don't want to leave us in this place wondering what this is all about, what this or that thing means in it. But you want us to to feel the impact of this wonderful practice, this wonderful sacrament you've called us to as your people. Lord, you uh, have designed us to be worshipers and designed us to worship in uh, the corporate setting, to be together before you in an important part until that final feast is the Lord's Supper. So teach us through your word about this. Help me to teach well, explain well, and proclaim the wonderful truths, Lord. And I pray through this time that we would hear from you and be changed and be invited into this wonderful feast we get to have every Sunday. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Paul addresses his friends in Corinth, and they are, some quick background, they are struggling with how to practice communion, and so Paul comes with correction here and in instructions. So we'll start in verse 17. It says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, So that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then my brothers. When you come together to eat. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry let him eat at home. So that when you come together it will not be for judgment. About the other things I will give directions when I come. God's word from 1 Corinthians 11. I want to learn from this section i want to take time to look uh through it and learn first just as we look at the errors the corinthians errors then we're going to look at the 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 core the communion truths that we learn from this and then we're going to look at how to apply this conclusions so first the the errors in corinth this is a growing church in corinth uh, but it's full of struggles if you read through first and second corinthians you see this There are all different things that they're struggling with. They live in a culture like many cultures, full of things, probably most cultures or even all cultures, full of things that are in opposition to the truth of Christ, the truth of the good news of Christ, the truth of the kingdom of God. So things that are in opposition or contrary to this. And there were many things in their culture, and those things had shaped their worldview. So when they encountered Christ in the gospel, uh, they were misapplying the gospel, uh, not doing the things that they ought to do. And so Paul... Brings correction. He actually starts out this letter with, with encouragement. He, he sees, because he's a man, I think, who understands the wonderful truth of the grace of God. That it's all a gift. This forgiveness we have. This new relationship with God and with his people that we have is all of grace. We don't earn it. As a matter of fact, we unearn it. He understands grace. And so he's gracious towards the Corinthians. He commends them. But in this section, he actually says, I, I don't have anything good to say. He's very patient with the Corinthians, and in this area, there's some very serious problems. Now, we may not have these problems, but there are maybe aspects of it we can be tempted by. And and as Paul instructs the Corinthians, it's very helpful for us to learn more about communion, more about the Lord's Supper. It's shocking though to read some of the things that Paul says. For he says in the following directions, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Can you imagine coming together on Sundays and it be more harmful than beneficial? That's what Paul's saying. Your your meetings are doing more harm than good. What's happening is this church is manifesting its problems in the corporate gathering. There's bickering, factionalism, rebellion, and licentiousness, and it's all having an impact on their corporate worship. And even though Paul has encouragement for them in other ways, he does not, in terms of these meetings, and in particular, the Lord's Supper. There's some very serious problems going on, and so he brings a rebuke. It stands in contrast to his affirmation at the beginning of the letter when he says, i uh, um, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do more harm than good. The context here, just so we would understand a little bit too, uh, in the early church, part of how they worshipped is they would have a meal together. Uh, They met in house churches. They didn't have big buildings. And so they would have met in the the home of probably a wealthy person that could fit enough people, maybe upwards to 100 people per home. And they came together to do a lot of what we do, but they came together to eat a meal. So maybe the closest approximation for us is if we had a pancake breakfast every Sunday together. So imagine we get here early at 9 o'clock and we eat a pancake breakfast together and we're together. And then we go into our worship time and the Lord's Supper. That's the context. But the problem is, is they're coming out of a culture that did those sorts of gatherings in a very different way. They're coming from a culture that's very stratified, that's very focused on how much you have, who you are in society. And so the culture actually knew how to have parties, they knew how to have feasts, and Christians are called to this, and um, the even better form in the Lord. So they knew how to do this, but they did it in a very different way. So if you were a wealthy person... And you wanted to have a party, get together with your friends. You'd invite them over and and you'd uh, invite them into the room in the house that was the largest room, basically the living room. It was often an outdoor courtyard. Um, and you would have the very best food. You'd put on display how wealthy you were to all your friends. And all your best friends would have only been people from your social class or people maybe higher than you. In, Uh, social class because you're trying to climb up the ladder by having these parties and you'd have a sumptuous meal together you would climb around a table together and you'd be fed the finest foods but out on the porch might be some of your poor neighbors and that was okay and they would wait on the porch in hopes that there'd be some scraps or leftovers that they would get and that also was a sign of how wealthy you are how well off you were that you would send the leftovers to the poor on the porch that's the context And what they're doing in Corinth is they're importing that way of doing dinners and meals and and social relations into how they do their Sunday meetings. So what's happening is there's a segregation going on according to social class from what we can tell. There's cliques going on. Those who are from a certain class and in a certain, you know, jobs and so forth live in a certain neighborhood. They're the ones on the inside. And then the poor people in the church are out on the porch And they're going ahead with eating while the people on the porch are not. Matter of fact, they're eating like they're feasting like they would at their parties. They're actually even getting getting drunk, overeating while people are are starving. And then they're going from that context into their regular worship service into the Lord's Supper. And so that's what Paul's pointing out. That's what he's concerned about. They're they're abusing worship by not understanding the nature of, of the church That we are all equal in the church and we are all to have equal regard for one another. We're not to form cliques no matter what they might be along. Whether it's on uh, how much money you have or or how you dress or what your ethnicity is or what neighborhood you live in. We're not to do that. We are one in Christ. We are to treat each other equally without favoritism. And certainly that's an important thing as we gather together. It's important throughout the week but as we gather together and how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so they're doing it wrongly. They're coming together to to celebrate and they're doing it in this wrong way and they're not catching it. And there's some serious things happening as a result. It's interesting that Paul says later in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. Really interesting to think about that. Because they are actually doing all the things they're supposed to do from what we can tell in the Lord's Supper. They, they are having the Lord's Supper. They're having the bread and the wine. and Probably remembering the right things. They're probably, you know, a deacon or one of the elders is, is leading them in prayer in the right way. All the elements are there. They're, they're going through all the proper procedures and probably even teaching the right way. But because they're not doing it rightly, right understanding and right faith, it doesn't matter what you do with the rest of it. It's not the Lord's Supper. There's an important point in that, really important, that the Lord's Supper does not consist merely of the elements and merely of the procedures. There is a historic doctrine that says it doesn't matter what you, what you believe or what the guy who leads believes. As long as you do it a certain way, it works. And that's in direct contradiction to what Paul's saying here This is not the Lord's Supper you guys are doing. You're doing all the right stuff, but you're missing out. There's not the right understanding. There's not the right faith here. So without understanding, without faith, it is not the Lord's Supper. It's merely eating some bread and wine and following some procedures. They are missing out. They're not understanding what's going on. They cannot, David Garland in his commentary says, they cannot label it the Lord's Supper. When they come together and act like this, it is their supper, not the Lord's. It is not the Lord's dinner because the Lord's dinner is intended to convey to every participant that he or she is somebody precious to God in Christ. The Corinthians meal communicated to some that they were worthless nobodies. It was tainted by the deadly combination of indulgence and indifference. So they're in grave error, even though they're doing the right stuff. So we may not have this problem, at least at this degree... But that truth is really important for us to understand. There's something else that's needed in the celebration of the Lord's Supper than merely having the bread and the grape juice or wine uh, and merely following the certain procedures. There's something else that's really important. There are communion truths that are a big part of our celebration of the Lord's Supper. So, what are the ingredients? What needs to go on? Well, there's truth that needs to go on. The, the truth of what, what's going on. So Paul says, and in the middle of this passage, verse 23 and following, he, he instructs them on exactly what it is. And, and you hear that here Sunday after Sunday. That's the passage we usually use to lead us through communion, what we're doing. And that familiar passage, for what I, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul shares this, and he probably had shared this before with them. He had already received it. He had already instructed them in it. So what is he getting after here? Well, he's pointing at some really important truth about the Lord's Supper, that will bring correction to them and bring a sobriety of understanding to them that they will, God willing, not dare to continue the practices that they're following. He says in verse 27, in reflection to what, he, what I just read, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. There's a truth here that when we practice the Lord's Supper together, this is not merely just eating bread and drinking juice and remembering Jesus. It is all that. It's an encounter with the very body and blood of Jesus himself. It is more than remembrance. I think we have to conclude from this passage. It's an encounter. And if we don't get that, we are actually profaning If we don't follow these truths and understand this, we're actually profaning the very body and blood of Jesus. When we celebrate communion, we are experiencing an encounter with Christ and his very body and blood on the cross. So I think it's appropriate to maybe give an illustration that will help us kind of get the impact of what Paul's saying. When we're celebrating communion, it's as, as if you are right there before the cross with Christ on the cross, dying for you, shedding his blood. He's right there within arm's reach. That's the sort of weight that Paul's getting at here with this passage. And so, of course, if that's the truth, then we're going to think differently about the Lord's Supper. We're going to be careful how we... Regard it. We're going to be careful how we celebrate it. We're going to be aware of all that it means that Christ was crucified, shed his blood for us and for our sins and for all his people. We're going to regard him and regard the whole church differently in light of that, that picture of being right there before Jesus on the cross. And I think modern day applications too come from this. For instance... If you were standing before the actual cross with Christ shedding his blood for you, you're not going to be on your phone texting your friends about what you're going to do after church. You're not going to be sitting there thinking, I can't wait for what Tom Brady's going to do today. Right? You're not going to be letting your mind drift into other things. You're going to be focused. You're going to think, This is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh flesh who's given his body and blood for me there's a sobriety there's a weight it's a holy encounter and it's not a mere remembrance we are encountering him and through the practice of this sacrament actually encountering his body and blood and we'll i'll talk more about how that works because i'm sure there's questions in your mind like okay help me with this but i want to hit now is this is a profound encounter with the very body and blood of God the Son in the flesh. Paul in chapter 10 so previously he's addressing idolatry and, and idolatrous worship versus what a Christian ought to do and he says in chapter 10 verse 16 the cup of blessing that we bless is it not our participation in the blood of Christ. That word also can be translated communion. In the blood of Christ, or partnership in the blood of Christ. It's the word for fellowship as well. The bread that we break, it is not a participation in the body of Christ. So Paul's saying in chapter 10 that when we celebrate this, it is an actual communion with the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. There's a connection going on that's substantial and weighty and holy and sober. It's not a mere remembrance. It's communion. It's encounter. So I'm sure, first I just want us to get that. Because then, if we get that, then we can start to answer the other questions that maybe are in your mind. Like, okay, so what is it? Like, how does that work? Because you're perhaps aware of the different views that sincere believers hold. So do the the elements themselves this bread and this juice or wine does it actually become the actual body and blood of Jesus is that what this passage is teaching or does it represent the body and blood in some way that that are that's powerful but nevertheless it, it's not the body and blood what what's going on what happens here Well of course just First, I think it's more than merely remembering. It's not a visual aid to remember Jesus crucified for us. It's way more than that. Our passage makes that clear. Our passage shows us that, that Paul's saying if you do it in an unworthy way, you're guilty of profaning the actual body and blood of Christ. He actually says later in verse 30 that that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Actually, God's bringing judgment on them. Because what they're doing in these practices is not just they're messing up the remembrance ceremony. They're actually profaning the body and blood of Jesus. They are basically bickering and treating those who aren't as wealthy as they are uh, in an inappropriate way. As if they were before the cross doing this very thing. And that's why it's so weighty. That's why people are actually getting sick and God is bringing judgment on them. Paul's pointing this out to them. There's a, a, a significance here that teaches us it's far more than remembrance. But is it the actual body and blood of Jesus in every way but appearance? That's the, the, on the other end of the spectrum. What's called transubstantiation. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so for numerous reasons. One, Jesus does say, this is my body, broken for you. But when he said that, he held it in his hands, and his physical body was not in union with that bread on that first, last supper. He's not holding his own body there. He also says things like, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate. He says that John, ba- John the Baptist is Elijah, but... He never in all any of those things means a one-for-one one equivalence. That I am actually a door or actually a good shepherd. I am, uh, John the Baptist actually is Elijah. But he's pointing out a, a metaphor or, or a substantial connection. So the use of is there is important. It's not a one-for-one. One, it's, it's a connection. It's a substantial connection though, right? It's not just merely a metaphor, merely a representation. It's a substantial connection there and showing himself through these communion elements. I think also we have to recognize that Jesus is fully human. He is God. He's fully God. But he's fully human. His body is not divine. His body is human. And if he's to be a human, it's a limited body. His body cannot be everywhere. His body cannot be throughout all the churches every Sunday in all the elements. He has a human body. That's a literalism that's not intended in what we see here. And then theologically, his body was given once. His blood was shed once on the cross. It is finished. It is complete. It doesn't need to be re-sacrificed. Retaken every Sunday in that way. So the communion elements are not one and the same with Jesus' physical body and blood, but are, but are tied very tightly to the actual thing. There is a participation. There's a communion with Christ that goes on. That's a substantial communion. And it's not just a product of remembering. It's a product of engaging in faith, around truth, in the sacraments. We encounter him in a profound way that is beyond merely remembering. He is present with us in the celebration of communion when truth and faith are present. So, to do my best to say what it is, the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or communion, both those words we, we see right here in this passage, Chapter 11, Chapter 10, the sacrament is a God-ordained encounter with Christ's body broken for us and His blood shed on our behalf. As we participate of it, in it with an attitude of faith and self-examination, we encounter God. Through the power of the Spirit, as we remember and proclaim and receive the elements, we receive real spiritual nourishment for our souls. We celebrate and signify and seal our union with Christ. We belong to Him. We are connected to Him. Spiritually and even our bodies, though that that is hard to understand how that works. There's a connection there. But it's a spiritual engagement, a real spiritual presence of Christ with us and through the elements as we celebrate communion. That's what's going on in the Lord's Supper. So my final point, in light of these truths, in light of this reality, in light of the things we see in this passage, what should we do? Well, first off, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we should approach it reverently. We're not having a church-wide snack, and neither are we just getting in line to take a magic pill. There's an encounter with God going on. There's reverence. We are are encountering God and the truths of the gospel of God himself in the flesh, giving his body and blood for us, for us individually. That in him, through this union with him, we have complete forgiveness. All of our sins are covered. The righteous one has been offered in our place and we are accepted as righteous ourselves through Christ. We are part of the family. We are one in Him and one with one another. There's a reverence that should be part of our celebration of communion. And so Paul tells the Corinthians to examine themselves before they come. Examine themselves. Look at their own lives and their hearts because you don't want to come before the cross, before the body and blood trying to finish a text message. Or living in... In opposition to Jesus. Walking in our own ways. Living under strife or factions with others. Mistreating those who have not. But instead we need to humble ourselves. And if if we're preparing to come. And we realize that somebody has an offense against us. That we haven't sought to settle. We should go settle that. Because we don't want to come before the cross come before his body and blood. Flippantly, without seeking to resolve conflict and offense, there have been Sundays where, for me, I've had to do that. I've um, had to go to my wife because I was angry and irritated in the morning. And uh, usually, how that works for me, by the way, is she'll point it out to me, and I'll say, "No, I'm not angry." I'm not irritated. I'm just trying to talk to you about this thing. And then when the Lord helps me see my sin, I'm like, okay, I guess I can call it angry and irritated. And uh, so I go to her. Um, She and my mom know me better than I know myself, actually. Um, And I'm glad for that. She can read me. And so there's times when I've had to go and say, honey, will you forgive me, please, for that? Because I don't want to come before communion. I can't. I hope I continue to have the fear of God and grow in that, that I'm not going to do that. And that's the sort of thing that Paul's calling us to do as we celebrate communion. We're coming to encounter him, the very body and blood of Christ, experienced through faith in this celebration. We must prepare. We must examine ourselves. And we must practice faith. So we learn that from this as well. Because they're not walking in faith and in right teaching, it's not operating for them. And so faith is necessary for our engagement here. And it's uh, the positive side of that is just the wonder that he's granted us this understanding from scripture and the ability to believe it and experience it. It's a wonderful privilege to come and and to realize I get every Sunday, we get every Sunday to to encounter Jesus, to encounter our, our God through this wonderful celebration. So we should be full of faith and joy with that. Of course... If you don't have faith, if you're not yet believing, it doesn't make any sense to celebrate communion. So we say every Sunday that we invite all true, true believers to celebrate. But if you're not yet a believer, we're glad you're here. We think this is a great place to be. We want you to know you're you're loved. And in in a sense, you're part of the extended family here. But it wouldn't be appropriate to celebrate this yet until you've placed your faith in Jesus. We also ask that parents uh, discern with their own children where they are. And if they're not yet at the place where they understand it and believe it and, and show that in their lives in their little kid sort of way, some fruit in their lives, then, then we don't want to celebrate communion with them yet. And, and if they're ready at that point, actually, the next step should be baptism, even before they take communion. Um, we don't insist on that. We don't require it as a rule, but, but we see the precedent in Scripture pretty clearly that, that that's the first sacrament you should celebrate with you, when you come to faith is being baptized. Um, don't have time to talk about that this morning. But once baptized, of course, to celebrate communion with God's people. So we come in faith. Faith is required. And we come in faith anticipating the joy and the blessing of celebrating this. We're to do it regularly. This sacrament is not a one sacrament. Then you move on like baptism. This is a sacrament to be uh, experienced regularly. And as we look at Scripture... Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of me until he returns and so we know it's to be an ongoing practice and we look elsewhere in scripture we see it uh, being described as a as a weekly thing and and described in this context it's part of their regular gatherings and so it seems that though it never says you must do it every Sunday it seems that that's the pattern and that's what led us as a church some years ago maybe three years ago to move to celebrating every Sunday. Because we see the pattern and we see the benefit. As we dig into the scriptures and see what a wonder this is, of course we want to celebrate it every Sunday. And it needs to be a a big part of how we worship together. There are other churches that do it less frequently. Um, So again, we can't tell them, look, this verse says every Sunday. But we don't want to miss out on the opportunity to, to engage this important way to worship. And we're to do it together. This isn't a solo experience, right? That would be kind of the error of the Corinthians, thinking that you know we can ha- the rich people can have communion up over here in the living room. While the poor people have their stuff out on the porch. It's like no, no, no. This is together as God's people. There's a unity and a union among God's people. We celebrate it together. So communion isn't something that would be appropriate to celebrate on your own. Now during COVID, uh, because of the difficulties, we couldn't be here, right? We we set up a practice of people having it at home. But that's not the preference. It's not quite the same. But we, we saw that there was liberty in that. And there was a way for us, because we couldn't be here, to celebrate. And, as, and we would lead together. So there was a unity there uh, via, via the internet. But, but it's best to be here with God's people physically. Um, we are to be a, a people who are together physically, not just electronically. And so that's our... Our preferred way is to be here together, to celebrate it together, to celebrate it with all of God's people across the spectrum from all the different backgrounds that we come from. This wonderful sacrament is, is a privilege for us and a reminder. It's, it strengthens us every Sunday and the profound truths that it brings. It's a profound experience, and I would I would submit that part of what we feel when we feel edified through our time together is through the celebration of this sacrament of, of encountering the Lord. There's a real encounter here. And we are really nourished spiritually as we remember his body and blood given for us. It comes through celebrating this sacrament. So we're going to transition now to do just that. And maybe as a result of hearing this, you're realizing, I need to make some changes. Or maybe realizing I need to talk to my wife before we go celebrate communion or my friends. Let's take time if we need to do that to do that now. Um, as the band comes up and as we sing that song, if you need to turn to somebody and, and say something or if you need to wait, that's, uh, that m- might be the th- right thing to do. But if I could invite the music team to come up um, and Toby will come up and transition us. Let's Let's celebrate communion together. Let us prepare. Let us encounter our glorious God through this wonderful sacrament.